0: I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording on today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I extend my respect to their elders past, present and emerging and any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander listeners that we have joining us. Sovereignty has never been ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. An important note that today's episode discusses themes and details surrounding suicide, as told by a suicide survivor. If you find this material distressing, please seek support from the many free resources we have shared in the show notes. For immediate support, call Lifeline on 13 11 14, where trained professionals are ready to hear you 24 hours a day, or you can head to lifeline.org.au to chat to someone online. From Matt and myself, we just wanted to pass on that if you are struggling, you are not alone. There are many people who care about you and who are able to support you. Please utilize the resources and we're sending love.
1: Why am I still here? constantly thinking to myself. But when reality kicked in, when I, when I couldn't feel well, I mean, anything below my ribs or even move any of the muscles down there or whatever, like, you, you start freaking out.
0: Matt Caruana unintentionally became an international speaker after becoming a paraplegic when he attempted suicide at 16. Now, he's best known for his humanitarian work surrounding suicide prevention, resilience and youth mental health, working with partners like Lifeline Australia and TEDx. His initiatives have been featured on 7 News, ABC, SBS, Channel 9, The Daily Telegraph and more, bringing him two separate New South Wales statewide awards. Matt is training to represent Australia in wheelchair basketball whilst simultaneously training to break a Guinness World Record. A reminder that this conversation discusses themes of suicide, please utilize the resources Matt has provided in the show notes if you find these themes distressing. This is Life Chats, deep and meaningful conversations with friends and strangers. Matt, thank you for being here. It's
1: a pleasure. I'm really,
0: you're welcome. I'm very excited to talk to you today. I believe in the universe kind of connecting you with the right people, and it was a bit serendipitous how we were introduced. And I think that you have a lot of amazing insights to share. So, can you kick us off by just summing up in one sentence, maybe? What is your mission?
1: That's easy to influence meaningful change in other people's lives. And, oh, one sentence right (laughs) i mean
0: you you did well to clarify it straight off the bat
1: Uh, i mean given it's something personal right it's Mm -hmm. something i could talk about for hours and it's the part meaningful that means the most to me because i think we're all come to a point in our life where we try to figure out what the hell is all this why why am i here what's what's my reason and whatever but at the end of the day it's all about what's meaningful Because everyone has different things that are meaningful to them. So it doesn't really matter what it is that's meaningful, as long as you know what it is for you. And to influence meaningful change in other people's lives, to me, means everything, because that's exactly what I needed when I was younger.
0: It seems like you're very, very clear on that vision. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about your story, but was there a moment that that became clear or that's become clear over years of kind of trialing and testing and, and deciding what feels right for you? Or did you just know after your accident, this is what your mission now is?
1: I just want to take a little step back. It wasn't an accident by any means. I attempted suicide at 16 and being left a paraplegic after that it left me in a position where I had to think a lot. I mean, being at a place where I felt like I was worthless, truly believing that and going down a path of fulfilling that, so to speak, but then not, quote-unquote, succeeding at it, but ending up in a position where the same thoughts and same beliefs are still there, only I'm now physically a lot more challenged. Everything below my ribcage wasn't working. There was no function, nothing there. And so I was thinking a lot about that, about, well, at the time it was a lot about me, 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 because all I saw was what was going on and everything that was wrong with the world, wrong with my life and what I wish was different. But gradually over time, I got to a place, thankfully, with the right people in my life and the right decisions I made. It's both parts there Mm -hmm. that have led me to the place I'm at now.
0: We don't have to go into huge detail, but do you mind giving a little bit of context about your suicide attempt and what your kind of mindset was leading into that um and any reflections you have on that now?
1: believing I was worthless that that word was just what I carried with my with me everywhere I went, and that was ever since I was twelve, so feeling that way for four years, and I mean you know in between a lot of other things were happening, right, whether it be you know getting into drugs all that stuff and if it wasn't the drugs, it was something else. It was, you know, escaping how I was feeling and even proving to the world that I was doing well because I never liked talking about how I felt. And that was one thing I didn't do before my injury was share how I felt, whether it was by talking, by being honest with someone, if they were asking, How are you, Matt, what's up? or even just by putting out my image. Like, I mean, the gym was something I was obsessed with. So I used that to my quote unquote advantage at the time. What I thought was my advantage. And um, yeah, that was my mindset. Just low sense of self, felt like I was a waste of space, wanted to end it all, didn't want anyone else to know.
0: Tell me a little bit about the gym. What was the importance of the gym for you during that phase of your life?
1: Insecurity. Mm-hmm. I felt like I wasn't enough. You know, looking in the mirror and thinking, I'm not a man. You know, I didn't have the six pack, (laughs) didn't have all the muscles in the world. I used to look at these like bodybuilders and these fitness models, influencers, whatever you want to call them, like on Facebook and YouTube or whatever, but I didn't see that for myself. I started going to the gym and quickly I I progressed. Mm -hmm. I took it seriously. I mean, I was 14 when I got into it. By the time I was 16, I was like, I mean, <laughs> my goal was just to be the biggest, most ripped guy around. and
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's all I did.
0: Did you find that you were treated differently by looking differently or did you go about relationships in a different way?
1: I mean, people had this image of me. Mm-hmm. Like at school, I was the kid on steroids. Right.
2: Everyone thought okay. that.
1: <laughs> and I used to play on that too because, you know, those insecurities were there. You know, people will say, you know, well, Matt, are you on gear? And I'll be like, oh. Maybe.
2: Oh,
0: okay. So I
1: would, uh, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would keep it going because I wanted people seeing me in a different way. I never touched it, but I was training and eating to the, I mean, to the extremes that, yeah. Then people started treating me differently. So whether it was the people in the older grades, like, wait, Matt, look how buff you're looking today mm-hmm. or whatever, or like, Matt, you're, I mean, you're looking ripped or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was, it was definitely there. And I mean, I definitely got a lot of attention. And I mean, I posted a photo on Facebook as my profile photo Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'd worked for, you know, 30 kilos I put on in eight months and dropped 20 in four months all for this one photo. Posted it and it's interesting because people treat you differently. They do. They see you in a different light and it's what you put out to the world. The world believed I was doing well. That photo was uploaded. And then a week later, I jumped seven stories to try to kill myself.
0: Mm. So can you tell me a bit about the lead up to that and your mindset? Because I'm interested to hear if that was kind of something that was decided pretty quickly within a week, or if you had been toying with the idea of it, or kind of, can you just paint a picture for like where you were at and what led up to the day that you did that?
1: I'd been thinking about it for four years okay. since I was 12.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How I was going to do it, I had a solid plan for over a year. And I mean, like how I was going to do it, where I was going to do it, the time of day—I just never knew when. It's like I wrote a <laughs> it's, like, its like I've, I've wrote a script for this thing, and I, I would visualize it. I would actually like see it in my mind as you know the days was going on, and you know when I was having those thoughts, it's like that visual just was that piece that I didn't feel, and I would think about it a lot. Was really bad, like all throughout the day, all throughout the night. I'd be in class, just zoning out. Mm. You know, I did well in school, so no one really questioned me. But you know, I'd be in class, and I just in my own mind, in my own space, thinking about it. And if you want to talk about that, that week leading up to it, so I posted that photo, and you know, all the attention in the world, right? I mean, all the validation a sixteen-year-old could want, right? And it's not like I'd planned that night to jump. That was the night before my family was supposed to go on holidays. Something was different that day though, like, really different. I mean, I, I, w- I woke up a lot later than I usually did. At the time, it was like 5, 5.30, but got really late And my asked if I wanted to go to the gym. I didn't want to. I mean, that was probably the biggest sign right from the get-go is that, you know, even even she pointed out, Matt, you've been gymming six days a week. You haven't missed a day. Like, you know, you've been so disciplined. Why ruin it now? And all this stuff. I'm like, I'm I'm, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I didn't go to the gym. Basically, just played my guitar most of the day. Hel- helped my dad out with a couple of things. Didn't talk to anyone. But yeah, at, it was later that night, about 10.30-ish, where I would, I'd thought to myself, like, what am I doing for four years believing I'm worthless and I'm still here? Why are you still wasting space? And so that's when I decided to. Yeah, I sent a message to the only person that I thought would care. And I literally went through all my contacts on my phone, all my Facebook friends, like a, almost like a checklist. Mm-hmm. Like, who would care? Only person was my girlfriend at the time. And I sent her a text and snuck out of my house and yeah there was no second thought 15 minute walk to this shopping center that's plenty of time maybe i shouldn't do it maybe someone might care what are, what are they going to be the repercussions whatever there was none of that you know even when i got to the place i mean there are people walking by right but i'm just covering myself trying to like hide who i am i, I don't want anyone to see me and I get to the roof, and because I mean, like, like I said, it's like I wrote a script for this thing. I it's like it was all playing out in reality. And the closer I got, I just kept walking quicker and quicker and quicker. And I remember everything up until the point of hitting the ground. I don't remember hitting the ground. I remember being in the air. And despite all the pain in the world, I'd been feeling that brought me to that place, all I thought was finally.
0: Thank you for sharing. I know it's it can't be easy, um even though you do speak about your journey. It's interesting because I think a lot of people um speak about suicide attempts and they say that, you know, right before they did it, they wished that they didn't or, you know, they, you know, had this moment of regret or like I don't know if this is the right thing to do, but for you it sounds like you were sure, like that is what you wanted, that's what you had planned, that's what you had written the script for. So Right before the moment, there was no doubt at all. It was kind of just like, this is my decision. There was no second thoughts about your girlfriend or um, family or anything in your mind. It was just laser focus, it kind of sounds like.
1: Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I mean- funny enough I'm 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 afraid of heights
0: (laughs) is that why you decide to drop that in now it's a good tension breaker
1: but I like I genuinely am is that why you chose
0: that method because it's something that you uh kind of had to had to see it through I don't
1: (laughs) face your fears right
0: I mean far out
1: yeah no so this is I mean the way I see this whole thing and, and the only way I can sort of put this into logical terms mm-hmm. is it's like for example I did my absolute best to hide the fact that I was feeling the way I felt but I put no effort into hiding the fact that it was a suicide attempt I mean I left a message from my ex-girlfriend I snuck out of my house I <laughs> jumped off a building so there was obviously evidence that this was a suicide mm. attempt when you know the end's coming you don't really care as dark as that is, that's a, that's exactly mm-hmm. how I thought. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't care if anyone knew I wasn't here anymore. I was doing everyone else a favour. I was doing myself a favour. I was worthless.
0: So cut to you waking up in a hospital bed. Do you remember that moment or that first day and kind of the first few thoughts in your mind when that happened?
1: It was two weeks later mm-hmm. and just, it, you know, Why am I still here? Mm. Constantly thinking to myself, like, I mean, at first I thought it was an afterlife. Did (laughs) you? Being being, being (laughs) completely honest. (laughs) I wasn't sure what was going on. Um, But when reality kicked in, when I I couldn't feel, I mean, anything below my ribs Mm -hmm. or even move any of the muscles down there or whatever, like, you, you start freaking out. You're like, what's going on? What is all this? Where am I? And I had um, obviously been heavily medicated on lots of stuff to manage the pain and all the other issues that were going on. Um, But those same beliefs, same thoughts were still there. If anything, they felt worse because Mm -hmm. I'd failed, right? Um, Yeah, yeah, I (laughs) was so ashamed, so ashamed. That's all that was going through my mind.
0: Do you remember the first few conversations that you had with family or your girlfriend or people that came to visit?
1: Initially, I I couldn't express myself. Mm -hmm. I I couldn't talk. You know, I had tubes going all the way through me and whatnot. I mean, they would talk to me, but all I could do was like a subtle exhale. That's all Mm -hmm. I could do at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny when – because my family – my thing was my sister, actually, in particular. Um, she knew I loved music. Mm-hmm. She knew it was a big part of my life, and so she um, made sure that there was a CD player next to me. And she, you know, her and many others would go out and buy all these albums, <laughs> and they'd play music. Mm-hmm. And there was like, <laughs> uh, apparently, there was a CD. They were playing a song, and I just. While I was supposedly unconscious, I started like mouthing the words oh,
0: a little bit. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. Yep. I was like, what? <laughs> when I first heard this, I, didn't, mm. I couldn't believe it. But um, yeah, apparently I was, um, yeah, music.
0: Kind of singing, yeah, connecting to it. Um, do you feel that, that those moments kind of illustrated to you that you were loved and that you were worthy or was it just not something that you could believe at the time?
1: When you're in that mindset, it's like something is covering your lens. It's like, mm. I, I don't even know what to call it, but it's like you're wearing a pair of glasses that are distorted. Mm. You don't see reality as it is. You see reality how you see it to be. And that's all based on how you're feeling. Unfortunately, now how we feel influences our thoughts. So what we think the world is is completely different to me how it really is. Mm-hmm. So, did I think people loved me? You know, I looking back on it, I had so many visitors, whether it be family, friends they were always there. In particular, my girlfriend at the time, she stayed with me throughout it all. She was visiting every single day. I never saw it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I want to talk a little bit about you know, I was having a look at your Instagram and a few of your reflections online. Um, you make it home, you have a big rehab journey ahead of you. And you kind of mentioned there was this letter to your mum, or kind of like a doctor's report. <laughs> Can you please talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So to give some context, mm-hmm. I, um, the reason I'm sitting in a wheelchair is because I severed my spinal cord and so the spinal cord is the highway of nerves in the body. And it is believed that once it's severed, there's nothing that you can do. It's done, and there's no way of any nerve function coming back because the spinal cord supposedly can't heal itself.
0: Did a doctor say this to you and explain this to you when you were in hospital that this is what your injury was?
1: When I got into the spinal ward, I remember a day in particular, my family were around me, and a doctor came in, well, two doctors, with an MRI. And they said, Matt, this is the reason you will never walk again. You'll need a wheelchair for the rest of your life. And there will be no function, no sensation coming back below your level. My level is T12. So everything below that supposedly is gone. And, you know, while I was in hospital, constantly just saying to myself, I'm going to walk again. I'm not leaving till I do, and all this stuff. I'm continuously saying that, whatever. Fast forward. I'm now outside of, so six months later, I'm outside of rehab, outside of hospital, all that stuff. I'm home. And a couple of months after that, I got discharged. I was sent to the hospital for an appointment to see a specialist. You know, he asked about my goals. I shared my goals. I want to walk again, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, brilliant. When? I said, oh, you know, I don't know. A couple of years, maybe. He made note of it. He quickly moved on. I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about it, but he wanted to move on. And then a week later, that letter you mentioned was on the dining room table and it was a, it was about me. And so I had a little glance over it and I saw on the goal section my goal of walking again and then a statement saying Matt is delusional in his way of thinking, word for word. And <laughs> it equally pissed me off as much as it also how do I say it? ate me up inside Mm. because here's a quote-unquote professional saying this to me here is someone doubting me again and all this stuff I I never felt that you know that was already going to be a reality and I wasn't happy with myself how I was looking all that stuff but I you know wanted this to happen but here's someone doubting me and calling me delusional and yeah That definitely (laughs) hit me at the time, but I was doing rehab once every week or two. It wasn't much. Was I driven at the time? God no. The mindset I was in was really bad.
0: What was that mindset? Like you felt forced to be there. Reflect a little bit on like, because right now I see someone sitting across from me who's so motivated, so driven. Like no one's going to get in my way, and it seems like you've come from the opposite of that. So I'm interested to hear like how, where did that happen? Where did that shift happen
1: it's about having a why that's strong enough And it's so cliche you hear it everywhere but something that drives you deep down you know i want to go a little bit deeper um even before my injury you know my dream was to be a musician Mm -hmm. and i was told that was a dream Told it was only a dream you'll need to get a real job all that stuff even my goals with the gym almost everyone close to me Matt, you're killing yourself. Matt, don't do this. Matt, don't do this. And, you know, it all, like, I I never felt dreams or goals were possible because everyone kept dragging me down. It's like I want to go somewhere, but someone's dragging me back. Mm -hmm. Those in my life just keep saying, no, 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 no. Go back to this. Go back to this. Don't, Don't achieve. And after my injury, when I was offered an opportunity to share my story for the first time, and realizing the impact it had just from that first time, despite me, like I mentioned, never liking to share about well, like mm-hmm. about myself, that inspired me to want to do it again, mm-hmm. and then do it again, and then do it again. And it's still then, people were saying, Matt, speaking's not a real job. Matt, stop dreaming, and all this stuff. But something deep down said, Matt, no, this is it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's speaking, whether it's whatever, but it's about influencing meaningful change in other people's lives. And so, because that's my mission, it's ever evolving, and a lot comes out of that too. Mm. So, if everything's about that, I made it. A, I made it so at the beginning, it was, you know, it was just sharing my story because that's all I knew. But then I started running workshops, mm. and then I, you know, not just to high schools, but then branching out to corporates and whatever. And I evolved this thing. And going back to that deep reason, right? My dreams or goals were always thought to be, you know, you can't do that, you shouldn't do that, or whatever. Matt, be real. Matt, stop dreaming, all that stuff. This, like, honestly, really gets to me. And the biggest reason, the deepest reason I do everything I do is so that my kids know that, yeah, no, your dreams are possible. Your goals, you can achieve. And not because I tell you, because I am an example of that. And coming back to rehab. Matt is delusional, all this stuff being told to me, right? It's impossible. This and that. There was a meditation retreat that I went on back in 2018.
2: Mm.
1: And after that, and during that retreat, I had many like realizations about myself. That after that retreat, I decided to stop my pension. I even snapped my disability parking permit.
0: I saw. Yep.
1: To this day, I don't have either one of them. It's now been over five years. I haven't had them. There's no coincidence that. Just after that. Yeah, I started doing rehab a bit more, you know, Mm -hmm. three, four times a week. But I started seeing new muscles fire. Wait a minute. That's thought to be impossible. What do you mean, Matt? I kept at it, kept at it, kept at it to the point where I'm doing sit-to-stands every day now with my trainers. I had rehab before I came here, (laughs) literally. And I'm even jumping on the exoskeleton at raw rehab, the assistive walking and all that stuff. And there's no coincidence why... Exo, yeah, it assists me walking, but it also measures how much it's supporting you as a percentage. That percentages are going down. Mm. Consistently, every week, we're seeing progress somewhere. There's no coincidence. Look, the biggest trait that I have and the reason this is going well is because I'm fucking stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stubborn as. But not only are my goals possible, but everyone else's are as well. And if that's possible for me, what's possible for everyone else?
0: There are so many directions I want to take this in, but let's start with there's obviously been quite a profound mental arc for you, but also physical. As you say, you're physically improving when you were told that that was impossible. Um, Tell me a little bit about the meditation retreat, because I'd like to know if that was something that was offered to you or you decided on your own accord that you would go and do this meditation retreat. Like, what were you kind of hoping to get out of that at the time?
1: I had found meditation. Like I always thought it was a good idea and all that stuff. But I, where, where it really started was this you know, course I was doing. I was studying Forex trading. I wanted to learn about that stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, did all right at it. And what do you call it? They taught meditation there. And the first couple of times I just fell asleep. <laughs> it was a good nap. But the third time I saw something about myself, and I was like, wow, there's something here, I think. Like I saw something about myself that I couldn't see life in the same way. And so... I started meditating every now and then, and I built an interest for it. I started reading some books, um, the power of now. Honestly, mm. has turned my life around. That book in particular, but anyways, I started you know doing this regularly, and then I decided I want to go on this retreat, see how it goes. I don't know if there's anything there, and yeah, that that's what led to it. No one forced it on I me. Mean, no one said, Matt, you should do this or mm-hmm. you ought to or whatever. I, I, I just, it just felt right, and just following that. Intuitive response, like gut feeling, like something feels right.
0: Why not do it? Are you? A, would you say you're a spiritual person? Yes. What does that look like for you? As in, do you pray? Do you? What do you believe in? I suppose.
1: Believe in I. I find it really difficult to articulate this. Hey, it's very it hard. It is, yep. Though the whole concept of the universe, consciousness—that's mm-hmm. where I'm typically at. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, mm-hmm. I believe we're all connected. Yes, we're all separate human beings, Mm -hmm. but we're all connected as one consciousness.
0: Did you have a different view on the world before your suicide attempt? Did you believe that you were going to go to a certain place and that was changed after the fact, or has nothing kind of changed in that regard?
1: For my injury, I just saw, you know, after the fact, after we die, it's just Mm -hmm. black. Right. It's that concept of peace. That's Mm -hmm. why I thought it was so peaceful at the time. I was brought up and raised Catholic. Given my mindset, I really rejected that. I started despising it. I, mm-hmm. I, I really didn't like, like you know, going to church and all that stuff and learning about religion, whatever. But then after my injury, I. Um, <laughs> it's funny how like you push something away, but then it, <laughs> it comes, comes back. back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I woke up one day after high school,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I was like, "Why can two people sit across from one another have?" Completely different beliefs, values, principles, whatever, but have absolute conviction that they're both right. Mm. What makes them the way they are? Why do they believe what they believe? And made me think: well, a lot of it probably comes to religion. So I went on this journey to meet people from different faiths, different religions, different systems 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 of belief. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I met uh, many different people, and yeah, that's <laughs> how I came to the place I'm at.
0: Yes. I think it's interesting how it's always a journey. Like you said, it's evolving and life experiences kind of um, guide you to believing the way that you do or kind of connecting to other people. Um, What else did you kind of take out of the meditation retreat and did it influence, do you think, your physical rehab? Like you have this new mindset, you think anything's possible now because you're seeing it in your results. Um, Just tell me a little bit about your actual rehab process over the first, I don't know, few years, five years
1: few years. Yeah. yeah. So the first two, like I said, once every week or two, mm-hmm. it wasn't much at all.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was after that retreat that it actually like I started picking it up and I started seeing real progress.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The biggest thing that happened on that retreat, and I'll never forget this. I remember in this one meditation, we were laying down and it's like I was taken to this like black space, right? Where I saw, and I was present, Matt. So not present, Matt. I saw present Matt laying down meditating, but I was past Matt, mm. pre-injury. And when I in this black space, when I saw present Matt um, laying there meditating, it's like this kaleidoscope of a of a star just appeared. And I just intuitively just like yelled. I, I didn't even mean to. I just yelled out, "I fucking love you, Matt." I fucking love you, Matt. And it brought me to tears. Mm. And I, up until that point, I knew my mission. I, I knew it was meaningful to me, but not once had I actually accepted me, loved me, been okay with where I'm at. To say I love you, Matt, means I love you for you, not you for the jacked, ripped bodybuilder pre injury. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love you for the, the, the Facebook likes and whatever, no, just for who you are. For the first moment, I said that to myself, which brought a level of acceptance to where I'm at. And if you ask me, the biggest part of my of my rehab journey, look, yeah, I do it. Yeah, I show up and whatever, and you know, I persist with my stubbornness and whatever if you want to call it that. But at a deep level, the giving up that pension, I remember. So the lead up to it. Mm, so tell a, me about that. A week before the retreat, timing is everything, by the way. Mm, I
0: agree.
1: <laughs> I, the week leading up, I got a message from Centrelink saying, your report is now due. I had to report how mm-hmm. much I was earning from my speaking and all that stuff. Fair enough. I was in the gym, but the internet was a little bit trash. Mm-hmm. And it said, please call us to figure it out. It's been an issue. I'm not calling Centrelink. I'm going to be on hold for <laughs> ages, right? <laughs> I completely forgot about it. A week after the retreat, I get another message. Your payments have now been canceled. Please call us to figure this out. So I called. And after 15 minutes of being on hold, I just had this, just this disgusting feeling from my gut. And even, even as I'm bringing it up now, I can kind of feel it. It was just this gross, like twisted feeling where it was like, Matt, first and foremost, do you want to be a speaker? Is your mission to influence meaningful change in other people's lives? Okay. If that's the case, why are you here on hold with a safety net to fall back onto? And not only that, Matt, is this wheelchair something you want to sit in for the rest of your life? Okay. You don't want to. Why are you calling back to get your disability support pension? I hung up the phone and that's also when I snap that disability parking permit.
0: Yeah. So, talk me through that. You literally cut or snapped your disability parking permit so that you basically have no benefits that someone else who is in your situation would have. Was that just a split decision that you've never looked back on? Or at times, do you think like, Yeah, it would be nice to be supported and for things to be more accessible. Like we were talking earlier before, you use the bathroom here. It's not accessible. It's a bit frustrating, but you're like, nope, I just adapt. You kind of don't have any emotions towards that. Um, I'm interested if that was a decision that you consciously made or if it's just part of you being stubborn. (laughs) You're like, (laughs) you know what? Fuck it, I'm going to deal with it. Because <laughs> some people would be pissed off, right? They'd be like, "Oh yeah." I in this situation, the world's not set up to support me. Um, I can't even get my disability pension. Kind of that victim mindset. What's your relationship with that been like?
1: Yeah, I I definitely didn't always have this mindset, right? Mm. I mean, I remember getting the pension took ages, and you know that, that was frustrating in itself because I was like, "Oh, that's my money. Like, I should mm. be getting this right and all that stuff," and um. Anyways, one thing I mentioned to you earlier was you know, because this was all my decision, no one threw me off that building. I jumped. Why should others have to change their lives to fit me? I, that's how I approach everything. And if, if there's a challenge, all right, well, let's find a way to work around this. I do at times, if needed. Ask for support. But if I can get around this myself, okay, if it's a bit of a challenge, why not do it? Why complain? Am I benefited at all by complaining? Not at all. It only makes me feel like shit. It only weakens me up. Mm. But if I overcome this hurdle, I'm prepared for the next. And at the time, it was like, yeah, you know, look, everyone's looking at me. I'm in this wheelchair. They're all sitting in their own chairs and whatever. It's always like me, 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 me. The moment I saw myself as, no, I'm no one different. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And the moment I didn't see myself as anyone different to the people around me, I believe people don't view me as anyone different. I really do. And I'm going to go out this life and find a way to make this work, whether (laughs) people will want to adapt or want to change to suit a wheelchair or not. My life.
0: One of my guests said, actually, just something that you reflected on. She, Leah Simmons, she says, the way that you view yourself is the way that the world sees you. And once you change that, the world changes. Like if you view yourself as this confident, capable, determined, successful person, the world accepts that that's what you are. Um, But I read a little bit about kind of you know you've met some inspiring people on your journey, but maybe someone that influenced that change or that perspective was a guy called Dave. Can you tell me about who Dave was? Dave. <laughs> Davey. <laughs> yeah,
1: so Dave I met while I was in hospital mm-hmm. initially. So he had a pretty significant significant injury himself. Mm-hmm. He had a spinal cord injury at the neck level. So by the way, every, anywhere on your spinal cord that gets affected, everything below it
2: mm-hmm.
1: is affected. So his, his was at the neck, mine was at the bottom mm-hmm. of my rib cage, right? So including his arms, hands, chest muscles, back muscles, all that stuff. Not severed, but, you know, incomplete injury, still a spinal cord injury, except difference between him and I, a big difference was he tore half his face with his motorbike accident. Mm. And he took the absolute piss out of himself right from the get-go, right? You know, he'd always introduce himself as Freddy Krueger. Yeah. (laughs) He just, you know, always laughed, always laughed, always had a great mindset. And from the very first day I met him, Matt, I'm going to walk again. I'm going to walk again. But he said this with, you know, when you, when you hear people say things and you can hear the doubt behind mm. their voice, no, this guy had Complete conviction,
0: conviction. Yep. Exactly,
1: yeah. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And he progressed significantly, mm-hmm. so much. I mean, no quad I saw while I was in rehab got individual function in their fingers back. Wow. He did. I remember the day he flipped the bird at me. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. I'd probably
0: do that first too. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
1: if there's one figure, yeah. you can get back. <laughs> That's the one you want. That's exactly uh. right. But even when he said that to me, mm. or when he showed that to me, again, he's like, Matt, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. He had his injury three months after mine. He, he was in rehab before me, but by the time I was discharged and I left rehab, he was on crutches walking. <gasps>
0: my gosh.
1: No walking frame, crutches, mm. right? No one at rehab did I see get to his level. His mindset, his belief, his perspective was so, like, so strong. No one else had that.
0: Have you had any doctors say to you, you know, you had that first doctor say that you were delusional. Is that still the doctor that you work with now? Or if not, what are their reflections on your progress?
1: I haven't seen them that guy in particular since. Yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fired. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Though they, they just sum it up as a miracle.
0: Wow. Do you believe that?
1: No. I'm not a miracle. And when people say I'm lucky, I find it offensive mm. personally. Why the fuck am I lucky when I wake up every day and I do this shit? Why am I lucky it, to wake up every day with the belief that I'm going to do this? And not only like have the belief, but actually do it. And then the day after not being at my end result, but then showing up and doing it again anyway. Why is that lucky? Is it lucky because you've chosen not to do it? Okay. Now I can really rant here. Yeah, um, please go for it. Safe space. (laughs) (laughs) Point of me sharing is I'm not lucky. I'm not a miracle. I'm just someone who chose to, to do this and I'm still progressing. That's not a miracle either. You know, Doctors whilst in hospital always told me, Matt, after a year is the absolute most, if anything's going to come back. Mm. And that's it. Why is it that almost all of my progress has happened after two years, after that meditation retreat? There's no coincidence. There's no coincidence. And if we choose to be more, we can be. It's like playing a video game you level up your character, you reach a new baseline. Okay. Just be better than the person you were yesterday. Mm. Okay, I got X percentage support this week on XOS Next session, I'm going to get lower than that. I'm going to get lower. Okay, I maybe he was using my arms a little bit that time. Okay, I'm going to use it less next time. Just self-awareness, which leads to self-knowledge. If you, if you ask me, it's then about self-mastery. Because at that mm. point, you've mastered yourself. You've become more by the simple choice of being more.
0: Is there an end point for you that you feel like you will be satisfied with your work, or are you the type of person it seems like to me, and I relate to this a little bit? There's always a new goal. There's always something more to work towards. Like, yes, you walk again. That's your initial goal, and then you'll set a new one. Like, I know you're working towards a Guinness World Record, and there's a lot of other things you're doing. But do you think there'll be an end point where you look at, look back, and celebrate your progress?
1: Why should there be an end point? If there's an end point. There's only descending from mm. there, right? You're either going up, working towards your goal, or you're going downhill. Like <laughs> there's one or the other. There's there's, mm. there's no flat line. If mm. you flat line, you're dead. So you're either ascending or descending. So what I'm all about is always working towards what's next. Mm-hmm. Okay, right now it's the walking Guinness World Record. It's the wheelchair basketball. It's my mission. What I love about my mission influencing meaningful change in other people's lives. There is no end goal. It's ever evolving. Mm-hmm. So there's always something next to work towards. There's always another person who I could reach. There's always another workshop that I could deliver. There's always something else there. And because it's about something that's meaningful, I believe, look, it's ever evolving, but it's also the deepest part that I can reach people in.
0: Mm. Tell me about what you just mentioned. So, you've got wheelchair basketball, you've represented Australia. Oh, you're not
1: yet. Oh, you will be. <laughs> on the way, on the way. On the way.
2: <laughs> um,
0: just tell me about the different kind of uh, sporting and training things that you do at the moment because you've got a lot going on. And I think people will be inspired to hear kind of what your regular day looks like and what your training involves.
1: Yeah. And I think I want to, well, I do want to preface what I'm sharing right now by mm-hmm. going back to pre injury. The body I built before my injury, Let's just say took hard work. You know, it took discipline, it mm-hmm. took showing up, being persistent, like overcoming who I was yesterday constantly. Yes, it was driven from insecurity, so it's not necessarily the best place, but those traits, they're part of me. I'm just now directing it towards something that's more purposeful. Same person using it in a different way.
2: Mm. So,
1: the hard work, the discipline and all that stuff, I use that in basketball. So, I I used to play basketball before my injury. I in touch basketball for six years after my injury. Mm. But I um after four or five months represented New South Wales for the junior um, team in, in Ballarat last year. And I'm playing at a national level. Mm-hmm. So I'm with the Wollongong Rollerhawks and the open men's. I'm no longer junior. <laughs> I got I got into it at the wrong time. <laughs> You've leveled
0: up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I'm but I'm now, yeah, like I'm I'm playing nationally and you know, I train for basketball at least four times a week, So, but, but then I'm also training towards this world record.
0: What is the world record? Just fill people in on that.
1: So the most towel pull-ups in a minute. Mm-hmm. The current world record is 33.
0: How are you training for that?
1: So I'm, I'm training at Bondi Beach down mm-hmm. the bars there. Marcus Bondi, thankfully, um, he's helped me out tremendously. This all came came about through a friend, Keith Saggers. He had this idea. I went to him and I'm like, Keith, I've got this, you know, this mission. I've got so many things I want to share with the world. I want to reach people, but you know, I'm only doing it in this capacity right now. How can I really blow my message up? And he said, Matt, what if we did a world record? Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a, not a bad idea. And he put the two together. He's like, Matt, you've, you know, you're in the gym a lot. You know, I can see you can do some pull ups. What if we connected you with Marcus and we did something? So I spoke to Marcus, met with him, and he loved the idea. And so we started training at the bars and even started training down at the rope as well. Mm. So I start climbing that five, five meter rope, I think it is. And yeah, I mean, it's, that is, if I want, yeah, t- it's the hardest thing. Tell me about <laughs> the
0: first time you climbed the rope. Did you have any idea what it was going to be like?
1: Ah, uh, it was scary.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So t- just to explain to people, it's this five meter rope hanging from a tree, yep. and basically you just pull yourself up the rope and then lower yourself down.
1: And and the rope like starts at like my head level. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna start like like climbing mm. with my hands above me, and um, yeah, it's a it's a it's quite a quite a climb. It's it's tough because, you know, you make, it, you make it to the top, but you're not finished. You, I mean, don't look down. Mm. <laughs> That's the first thing you don't do. But it's another rep getting down the rope because you've got to control yourself. And it's not like if I drop, I'm going to land on my legs mm. and be safe. So I've got to make sure I do control yeah. myself on the way down. And it's another rep because you're holding yourself mm-hmm. with every single grip mm-hmm. you take on the way down.
0: So, you're surrounded by, and I believe this is because you're one of them, but you're surrounded by these driven, motivated, inspiring people. That's kind of your circle. And you do a lot of work with schools and corporate. Do you ever hear or are you told specific stories from people that you have impacted or that, you know, there'd be so many, but are there any that come to mind that are like standouts, this is why I do what I do?
1: There have been moments, mm-hmm. if I'm honest, I, I don't like to focus on it too mm. much. It's Why just, is that? There's so much more to do.
2: Mm.
1: And if I, if I feel like I, if I, if I, too, if I focus on it too much, I'll get too caught up in mm. what I've done rather than what I need to do. Right. And so, but there definitely are. Like, I recently, a couple of days ago, got a message from a student that heard me speak a couple of years back and just sharing the impact it's had on them um even whether it be straight after my sessions i'm i remember this one student who was on house arrest,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know he um came he, he approached me afterwards like the school had run a well-being expo and there was this big group that came and approached me and this one guy stepped forward he was going to share first he opened his mouth but he, no words came out he just started bucketing in tears and he just mm. he basically said fuck this and he walked off I spoke to you know the friends I'm like is so and so all right let's call him Billy mm-hmm. is Billy all right and he's like look Billy's going through some stuff at the moment anyways I ended up hanging around for oh like two hours afterwards and I had to get going. On the way out um the teacher that booked me is like hey Matt Billy's outside he's actually got a friend outside of school if you're up for it he'd love to chat I was like of course yeah it's let's have a chat and you know we spoke for about half an hour with his mate and and just at the end he was he was in tears i was mm. in tears it was it was actually really quite a quite a powerful moment i got, could, could feel and like how do i say it um the teacher came up to me afterwards and was like matt i don't think you understand the magnitude of what just happened mm. and you know that was even then that was fairly early on in my like Speaking career, but that was so significant. I'll never forget those moments, or even those like because I've spoken at a range of different like audiences, whether it be corporates, like high up executives, C suite executives, or whether it be like (laughs) private schools, behavior schools, kids Mm. that have been expelled, Mm. like multiple charges, criminal, like stuff. But seeing it all happen, and what I've come to learn is there's no better or worse. Everyone's trauma is is subjective, right to their experience. So you have to approach everything with an open mind. Though, when I hear like those messages, why would I don't focus on them that much? They mean the absolute world to me. It honestly, yeah, it 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 really hits me mm. every time because that's why I do this. And imagine if I had this when I was younger, know what I'd be now.
0: Do you believe that mindset is something that people are born with or because, for example, some people like to make excuses and say, I can't do this, I can't do that. And then there's other people out there that have every barrier in front of them and yet they don't believe in excuses. Like, Is that something society conditions you to be that way or is it genetic? Like, What is your belief on that?
1: I think it's definitely influenced by those things, but at the same time, it is so much easier to stay comfortable and say no. Right, It's so much easier to not go about a goal, and especially if a goal's quite hard, like it's going to be strenuous, it's going to exhaust you. With that comes a lot of fear, comes a lot of pain, comes a lot of anxiety, exhaustion, all these things that we don't typically want to experience, but those feelings need to be there. The pain, the exhaustion, the anxiety, the fear, all those things, they come into play because... They're preparing you for your next quote-unquote baseline, your next level up.
0: For example, though, if you have someone in your life who likes to name all the barriers and the kind of excuses to achieving a goal, do you you believe that they can be trained out of that? Do you ever just look at people and think like, it's all in your mind, you can overcome this? Or do you believe that people are just the way that they are in life and you can't really force change in others? Like your whole mission is to inspire meaningful change through your actions and being leading the example. But- Sometimes, and maybe this is a cynical worldview, I just look at people and I'm like, you're not going to get there. Maybe not in this lifetime. I can try and guide you and be a positive force for change, but I can't change you.
1: Absolutely. Well, this is the thing. I wasn't always this. I didn't always have this mindset. I was the exact 180 opposite of where I am now. If I can do it, why can't someone else? If I can go from wanting to end my own life, now wanting to live to the absolute utmost potential that I can, why can't anyone else? And the thing is, at the end of the day, if you ask me, it's really just a choice. Mm. And that feels like a spit in the face. Good. Let it sting. Let it hurt. (laughs) Right? Because that in itself, that little sting should give you a reason to say, wait, maybe I can. If that hurts, that means you deep down know it is a choice. That means you deep down know you could do more but are choosing not to. Mm. And, man, I get heated by this because, you know, people are quick to put doubts on you. People are quick to say, no, you can't achieve that. Matt, stop dreaming. Mm. You know, be real. All these things. That's because deep down they believe they can't achieve to the same potential that you are going to.
0: Yeah, the projection is real. Um, Mm -hmm. We were just talking about, excuse me, we were just talking about you're going to do the city to surf this year and that you've done it last year. And what I find amazing is that you seem to think the most inspiring thing out of this experience is that you saw a woman pushing a pram or multiple women pushing prams um, next to you whilst you're also in the experience. For anyone who is averse to trying new things or new challenges, what would you say? Say yes. (laughs) I
1: I remember when I was... when I got discharged from rehab, I had to go back for an appointment and someone told me, like, so-and-so did the city of in the surf in the chair. And I was like, oh, that'd be cool. I, I just never really thought about it until last year. I just happened to be talking to a friend and they're like, oh, the city of the surf is coming up. And intuitively, I was like, let's do it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I said to her, like, <laughs> I'm being dead serious right now. I pulled it up. And I bought the ticket right in front of her. she's like, all right, I'll join They're you. We're doing it. <laughs> and we, um, you know, just to say yes, pushes you into a place of discomfort, especially if it's not something you're prepared to do. But now you've got to make it work. Now you've made a decision to do something, you'll figure out a way to do it. So now in the gym, I'm doing more cardio. Suddenly, you know, I'm on the ski erg. It's not pushing a chair, but it's something. And whether it was the ski I mean, we did a one lap at the bay run. Difference being that's completely flat <laughs> not any hills.
0: <laughs> and also like four kilometers, not 14, but anyway.
1: <laughs> God. Big difference. Big difference.
0: <laughs> I mean, at least there was some form of training in there. He didn't go in completely cold, but yeah, it can't have helped much. Um, but then
1: when you wear that bib yeah, and you're, and, and, you're and in you're there at the start, you've got to do it mm-hmm. and you make it happen. And. When I was at Heartbreak Hill and I saw mums exhausting themselves, like pushing their prams up, that just sparked a fire inside of me. I'm like, these women are willing to push their own son, their daughter, whatever, up this hill. Some with the double pram, Mm -hmm. two kids in Mm -hmm. a pram. I just, that's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that brought a fire inside of me to push up even further. Mm. And, you know, I was with my friend and, you know, we kept at each other's pace, you know. I'm not sure if she slowed down for me up that hill. <laughs> it's a tough hill. You probably hill.
0: slowed down for her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Man, my, yeah, arms were exhausted after that. But, um, <laughs> you know, there really is no excuse. Mm. Yeah, if, if I'm seeing mums jog and push their, you know, sons, their daughters, and their sons and daughters, they just just wearing their smiles you know they're not walking or whatever but you know just seeing that smile but the mum pushing the mum pushing wow that's Mm. that's strength and if she can do that why can't i push my goddamn self I barely got half the weight, leg weight she's got. (laughs) I've got a little bit of a cheat, right?
0: (laughs) The baby probably weighs like half a kilo though. So, I mean, (laughs) both an effort. Um, Are there any physical challenges that you want to do in your life that scare you? Because it seems like you just tackle things and you're like, I'm going to fucking do this. But is there anything that you look at that you're like, oh God, I don't know if I can do that, but I'm going to do it anyway?
1: Nothing comes to mind at Mm. this stage. I mean, when Keith brought up the idea of the world record attempt, I was, yeah. I was scared? I was pretty scared. I was Mm. shitting. I was like, I don't know about this. I really don't know. But, you know, the the more I trained, the more I trained, the more progressing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that has been the biggest, quote unquote, scary thing. Getting on my feet and walking again, you know, even just jumping in EXO, honestly, like at first was scary. I never felt anything like it. I remembered what it felt like before my injury. It's like my body subconsciously knew it. But every day, every time I get in that exo, every time I stand up, all that stuff, it's it's, it's a new challenge. I think we all ought to face those physical fears.
0: Speaking of, for anyone watching or listening to this podcast, we're in a studio with a spiral staircase, which is (laughs) (laughs) like you're laughing, which is amazing. (laughs) It's Spiral Staircase, which is barely the width of my body and I'm not a large person. And Matt's like, yep, all good. I'm like, are you sure? You know, it's not going to be an issue. We can do it somewhere else. I can come to you. We can do it downstairs. He's like, no, I've got this. And here we are. So I think that's just a testament to like your willingness to face things head on and not be discouraged and not let basically anything in your life get in your way, which is very inspiring.
1: We can all find a reason to make it work, right?
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Find a way. Do you ever experience the same thoughts that you had before your suicide attempt now in everyday life? Is that something that you're ever back in that place
2: mentally?
1: Every now and then there's a thought like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it'd be easier if I was dead, but it's just a, a thought. It's like it comes, I'm aware of it. I don't judge it though. And it just passes in a moment to after that. because. I'm not in the same place. i really not. Do I still get down? Of course I do. Mm-hmm. I'm still human. I have emotions, but I have a completely different mindset, completely different belief system. I see myself a lot differently, and more importantly, I'm actually doing something about it. I'm not just sitting myself thinking a certain way, no, I'm taking action.
0: If someone's sitting at home and they're in not a great place mentally, or perhaps they've just experienced what you've reflected on, which is like the insecurity and kind of not feeling good enough in the world, do you have any tools that you can share that seem to work for for you or just any advice that you would want that person to hear in this moment?
1: People care. People genuinely care. I didn't believe it for so long, but the people in your life do give a shit. And whether you feel like there is care out there with those around you, those that are close to you, there are support services out there and there really are. I mean, I recently became an ambassador for Lifeline.
0: Tell me a bit about that.
1: It's an absolute honor, mm-hmm. if I'm honest. I mean, they are a service that I didn't know before my injury, mm-hmm. even though they've been around for 60 years. It's <laughs> but even then, I wouldn't have called Lifeline. But recently, I found out that they're not just 13, 11, 14. They also have a texting service. You can Mm. text in through your phone. But if you're like me before my injury, I was paranoid. (laughs) I didn't want to give my phone number away. They've even got an online chat service, crisis support, that you can type in. So if you're paranoid, you can go about mm. that as well. I, mean, I shouldn't say that, but that's no, the way. It's helpful
0: I, for people. Mm. That's
1: the way I used to see it. And mm. um, but yeah, but then there are even other resources out there where you can navigate your own headspace questionnaires online that you know see where you're at, and you know they ask questions to you know gauge your thoughts on certain topics and whatnot, mm. and they suggest recommendations afterwards. You don't need to share with anyone. But the fact that these services are out there. I think people care. Mm. I think people want to support you. I think we don't want to live in a society that is depressed, that is anxious. And the biggest thing, the biggest thing that I want people to believe is that it doesn't have to be that way, that it doesn't have to be like that for the end of time. There is hope. You know, I'm still sitting in this wheelchair today. I'm on my way to kicking this thing off stage one day. And if that's not a representation that there's hope, I don't know what else is. Not only am I not in the same place mentally, but physically as well, Mm -hmm. despite everyone, I mean everyone, believing that it wasn't possible. So many people and medical professionals back in hospital, they've told me so many of them, Matt, we thought you would going to go do it again. We thought you wouldn't be here anymore. We were so, I mean, you were, excuse me, you were so caught up in that mindset. You didn't want to change anything. We didn't see anything else before you. I and, and even just hearing that, like, um, I mean, really hit me. I was like, so it sort of shocked me. But if that's the case, and, and also quote unquote, physically being impossible to get to the place I'm at now, there is so much hope out there. It's within each and every one of us. I'm no one special. I'm just a normal 23 year old guy that has decided to yeah follow something that's meaningful to me, and that drives me. It's hope for all
2: of us.
0: That is probably one of the most powerful things I think that anyone listening could take away from this episode. I'm interested to hear if you could go back and change anything, would you? No. Why?
1: wouldn't be where I am now. Mm-hmm. Do I think suicide's good? Absolutely not. But I wouldn't be the person I am today. And I know what I'm doing now is the most meaningful thing to me. The amount of, I mean, you, you asked about are there any standouts of people that I've supported and all that stuff. There wouldn't be any of those standouts. There mm. wouldn't be anyone that I've supported.
0: There wouldn't be this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely not.
1: Absolutely not. Yeah. Had I worn a different pair of shoes when I mm. went and attempted, it would have changed everything. Mm. Those little decisions. Do you I,
0: believe in that? Like sliding yep. doors moments? Yep. yep.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. If I, I don't know, sip this coffee in a different, mm-hmm. <laughs> at a different time, it would change everything. I don't know. But I believe that everything happens for a reason, mm. including all our shit. Including all our shit. Because all the lessons we learn come from our shit. <laughs> and those lessons aren't for us to hold on to. We can pass them on to other people in whatever way whether it be by sharing with them, whether it be via a podcast, whether it be via a workshop, whether it Mm -hmm. be through a service that you provide or whatever, just giving advice. We are here to pass on the lessons that we learn because otherwise we're living for ourselves. But life's not about me, it's about we.
0: Mm. And probably one of my last questions is if you could go back to the Matt that was kind of sitting in the hospital bed two weeks after he's woken up is there anything that you could have told yourself or any imparted knowledge that would have made this journey? I suppose as I'm saying this question, I'm like, you're going to say no because it's all unfolded how it how it should have. But I suppose is there anything that you would, if you could pull up a chair and have a conversation, anything you'd want to say?
1: Oh, the hospital gave me a chair,
0: I think. <laughs> <laughs> you're a <cracker. laughs> I'm editing that out. <laughs> I'm not perfect. Okay, I try. No, no,
1: that wasn't a dig at you. It's just a
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it's fair.
1: <laughs> I, I I suppose you're asking what would I want younger Matt to know. Mm. Follow your heart. Look before my injury. Deep down, I wanted to talk to someone. Mm. I wanted to get it off my chest. I just didn't feel I could. I I, I didn't. Believe that's what a man did. And, the, and h- how am I going to do it anyway? I mean, like, no one else talks about how they're feeling. I didn't feel like I could. I was that insecure. Match that with everyone around me keeping things to themselves. And no one approached the conversation either.
0: Do you think people knew that where you're at mentally? Sorry to interrupt, but no one approached a conversation with you. Was that out of them not knowing where you were at? Or but maybe not not knowing how to support you.
1: There was only a couple people that had a good idea, mm. and they picked up on it. They would ask, but I would say, "I'm tired. I'm okay. I'm all right. Don't worry." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, those were the common themes of my answers. Though, when I mentioned follow your heart, look, sharing's one thing because you know we don't need to carry on to have all this hanging on the back of our mm-hmm. <laughs> on the back on the back of us. Follow your passion. Play to your strengths. Music was my strength. Had I followed that, maybe I wouldn't have done what I did.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Do I wish I was doing that now? No, I found something that's more meaningful to me. But I I, I still play guitar. I still DJ every now and then. I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but just follow your heart and it sounds so cliche but that's really all I will want younger Matt to know I just give him a big hug because really this entire time he has been supported
0: you just said something interesting being a man what does being a man mean to you now
1: being responsible Mm -hmm. for your actions for your words I mean you say something you do it
0: what did you used to think being a man was
1: I needed to be huge. I need mm-hmm. to be have all these muscles and whatever, and I needed to—I don't know. Yeah, just dominate.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you're like,
0: no, that is not it.
1: <laughs> well, you can, you can have conviction.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You don't need to have all the superficial shit. Mm. What makes a man is. His responsibility for himself, for those that he loves, but also for the, for the actions and words he says.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Hell, even your thoughts. Stay aligned to who you truly are.
0: We've got a closing tradition on this podcast, you may have heard. Yep. Um, every guest is asked the same question. You can answer in as little or as many words as you like. And that question is, Matt, what is the meaning of life?
1: the meaning you give things?
0: That was so quick, that response.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was a question I pondered on since I was 12 years old. And that journey that I went on after my injury, where I was like, why people believe what they believe and all that stuff, meaning people from different faiths, Mm. uh, uh, religions, cults even, all that stuff. I mean, (laughs) who cares what you believe? Who cares what meaning you give things, as long as you know what's meaningful to you? Because- whether it's yourself, Georgia, myself, Joe Blow, whoever, all these different people in the world—seven point whatever billion people in the world—have different ideas, thoughts, beliefs, principles, whatever. Who cares what you believe? As long as you know what you believe. The, one of the people that I met on this on this journey was a Buddhist monk. Mm. You know, he invited me into his house and a beautiful house, and he's just like Matt. Well, why do you want to meet me? And I was like, you know, I've been on this journey. want to, f- like, you know, figure out more about this whole thing called life. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard about Buddhism, looked into it a little bit. I started meditating, had all these experiences. And before I, I blabbed on more, he's like, well, Matt, is it working for you? I'm like, well, here are my beliefs. And this is what I'm doing. It seems to be. And he just said, perfect. No judgment. No, you should do this. No, you ought to do this. No, you're meditating wrong. No, <laughs> this beliefs are wrong. Just perfect. And I got uh, just shivers down my spine, like, like when he said that, because it clicked. That's when I realized who cares what you believe, as long as you know what's meaningful to you. It doesn't matter.
0: And what is meaningful to you in this moment?
1: Influencing meaningful change in other people's lives.
0: On that note, we'll wrap this up. Thank you so much for sharing. I find you to be such an inspiring person, not only for your mindset and the work that you do in your own life, but the fact that you're showing other people it's possible. You share so openly, which is rare to find, I think, on this subject matter. And it can't be easy from time to time for you to do that. So I just want to say thank you. I appreciate you. Feels like I've known you for a long time, even though this is our second ever conversation. And I think people are going to take a lot away from this. So I just want to commend you for showing up, for doing the work. And I can't wait to see you kick that chair off the stage one day soon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say thank you, Georgia. Seriously, it's been an absolute privilege. Thank you. love this conversation.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please let me know who you'd love to hear from next. Or if you have a story to share, I'd love to get in touch with you. You can connect directly with me on Instagram at Life Chats Podcast, one word. And every review and share really does help so much in the early days of building a podcast. So if you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it on social media, or you can snap a pic of where you might be listening and jump onto Apple Podcasts and give us a review. I really do appreciate the support more than you Have a beautiful morning, afternoon, or evening wherever you may be listening in the world. I'm Georgia May, and this is Life Chats.